Podcasts aren't the future of radio. They're the present. You are about to listen to a ministry-approved podcast. For more great audio entertainment, visit ministryofpodcasts.com. And now, your feature presentation. Guy.com slash audible and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. Paul the Book Guy. Hi everybody, welcome to episode 003 of the Paul the Book Guy show. I'm Paul Alves. Paul the Book Guy. I'm Chris Jager. Chris Jager. I'm Greg Ott. Greg Ott. We're back for another week of books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. So what are we uh, what are we all reading this week, Chris? What are you reading? Uh, nice to be back in the studio with you uh, with you lads. Uh, look for starting Likewise. to look forward to this every week. This is fun. I got a stack of books uh, beside the bed at the moment. Uh, no thanks to you there, Paul. Um, Book Mountain. What did you drop on me? You handed me a copy of Stephen King's uh, Cell. An- yeah, another end of the world book. Uh, sounded quite interesting. You've obviously uh, you remember my. Um, affection for the uh, end of the world books from from last week. Oh, this one goes off in a in a flying sparks and explosions. It's a lot of fun. I got a couple uh, also from uh, the Carricks, Donna Carrick and Alex Carrick. Yes, thank you very much, Donna and Alex, for for giving us uh, all three of us uh, copies of your your the two books sent in, gonna... and now on the top of the pile. What I've actually got open with a bookmark in is uh, Storm of Swords. Ooh. I am just. Uh, you too. I have you two to blame for this, for getting me stuck on this uh, Game of Thrones business. And uh, cruise right through the second one, uh, which was Clash of Kings, which uh, I'll be talking about later. And uh, now I'm uh, well into Storm of Swords, so that one I'll be reviewing as well, upcoming. And Greg, what's on your book mountain? Uh, my book mountain is pretty similar to last week. I, I did get the two, same two books from uh, the Carricks, and I plan on reading them as soon as I'm done with The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Thank you, Chris. I am. Uh, it is a page turner now. I am. Uh, I'm well into it. Main characters have kind of kind of uh, mesh now, so it's uh, it's getting really good. I'm also now into the seventh book of the Dark Tower series, the actual Dark Tower, and I'm liking it. I'd like to say that the last part, the last hour of the the sixth book, Song of Susanna, did get fairly exciting at the end. It's. It, I'm enjoying that a lot. It is going to be 28 hours of my life but uh yeah i'm looking forward to it yeah you know you did mention to me earlier today that uh uh the first hour in your audiobook for for book seven should have been the last hour in song of susanna uh, was it the, the last one was song, song of susanna, of susanna yes. yeah they definitely could have taken the first hour of book seven or i don't know a right. couple hundred pages and added it to the end of book six I, book six did kind of just i agree off. but at the same time there was probably three years in between King writing those novels, so you can understand why, you know, he he didn't want to wait another three years to put out, you know, a, 
a book in a series that sold over 30 million, co- 30 yeah. million copies, right? No doubt. It, he has to buy a new gold, gold-plated shark tank, you know, for his third yacht. And I'm, I'm actually into uh, Three Scoops is a Blast because I have read Two Scoops is a Blast by Alex Carrick, and uh, I, I'm enjoying it so far. Now, Chris... Um, yeah, Paul. I want to thank you for mentioning Bubba Hotep last week. <laughs> you enjoyed it, did you? <laughs> Completely not book-related, folks. I'm sorry, but what a great movie. Now, let me throw one right back at you. What do you got? If you can find it, Jesus Christ, Vampire Hunter. Jesus Christ, Vampire Hunter. Yeah, it's set in Montreal. Um, without getting too much into place. it, I really, you just gotta, you have to just watch it. It is the world's worst movie, and that just makes it hilarious. It's intentional, it's, it's campy. Give it a shot. Excellent. Thank you very much, Paul. I'll see if I can uh, return the favor next week, find something. Uh... <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Science fiction. All right, now, last week we decided that we were all going to listen to the short audiobook version of the short story by Philip K. Dick, The Adjustment Bureau, which the movie, now that I've listened to the audiobook, is very loosely based on. What were your thoughts? Yeah, very loosely based. I mean, the short story was, was well-read, um, I agree. I, I was very well read. I wasn't fond of his female. His female voice was a little bit uh, it's too hard high. It's, for a voice actor to do an opposite gender convincingly. Let's yeah. just accept that. It just sounded <laughs> very submissive. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the I, I dude just, doing a falsetto just never. Yeah. So the, the story was uh, actually uh, it was like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, exactly. It's a nice short little read. It was very interesting. And and you can understand why they added all the the car chases and 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 you know chase I didn't scenes see the movie. The movie. Uh, well, you know what? You, you might as well. It's you haven't spoiled it by reading the, the audio book. Obviously, it's I very haven't. loosely based. And now, Philip K. Dick, throughout February and March 1974, experienced a bunch of visions. He he says he first he saw laser beams, then geometric patterns, and occasionally brief pictures of Jesus Christ in ancient Rome. Uh, he eventually began to live a double life: one as himself, Philip K. Dick, and one as Thomas, a Christian persecuted by Romans in the first century AD. I mean, this man has, he's an interesting character, Chris. Multiple personality, is that what I'm getting? I, I would say more that he's a very creative let's go person. With garden, and let's just go with garden variety, borderline lunatic. Borderline, okay. yeah. Uh, one thing I've, I've, I've pissed and moaned about this book, uh, audiobook business. Um, the short story is perfect for the audiobook. This was fantastic. You just pop the CD in, in the car, 45 minute drive. Nice and simple, nice and quick, uh, easy plot to follow. Loved the short story oh, for the audio. Yes. Good to hear. Well, may, maybe the audio drama is more for you, uh, or, this, or the short, uh, short format audio. This is my stepping stone, my gateway drug to the the full on twenty eight hours of uh, what do you, what's that? What do you got coming up, Craig? <laughs> twenty eight hours in just one book. Oof. That's I'm in, I'm seven books in. <laughs> you, def- you definitely don't want to even try yeah, is, Atlas Shrugged. That is the Everest of uh, of audiobooks. Yeah, it's right up there with Anathem and Snow Crash. Nice. Hi, this is Scott Brick, audiobook narrator and publisher of The Chronicles of Thomas Covenant by Stephen R. Donaldson on audio, and you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. Fiction. 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 Now, Chris, I told you at the beginning of the show about uh, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter, which is a movie. Uh, I've read Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, uh, which is this new genre of uh, mashup books. Literary monster mashups. Yep. Started, uh, made popular by uh, 
Jane Graham Austen, Seth. no, uh, Pride and Prejudice and Vampires. Right, Seth Graham Smith and Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters. Yes. It was shortly after, yes. And I just got a copy of Pride and Prejudice Hidden Lusts by Mitzi Sorrento, which is uh, a bodice ripper. She's converted the uh, the book, uh, added a lot of various uh, types of sex into it. And I noticed that the copy of the book is missing, Greg. Well, yeah, given that Book Mountain is getting particularly large with all the kind donations from the publishers and uh, authors that we're getting here, I uh, deferred that one to my wife, and uh, I'll, I'll give you a report at the end of the weekend. Yeah, tell her, tell her we need a book report before the next podcast. Uh, I'll give you a book report on that one, too. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, Greg found a trailer for this book at uh, MitziSorrento.com, which we have pasted a link to at PaulTheBookGuy.com slash show notes. Coming up next, it's... The Think Geek Item of the Week from ThinkGeek.com. This week's Think Geek Item of the Week is not a book. Uh, we were discussing 3D movies last week, and I just found this item. It's the 2D Glasses. These what do you have there, Paul? 2D glasses. These are glasses, uh, Chris, that someone like me that doesn't appreciate 3D for three hours on end, you can bring them into the theater, put them on, and it converts the movie to two dimensions. That's two. Two whole dimensions. Are these just two pieces of plastic <laughs> and a frame? No. They, they, they or are, is there actually like a, yes, a tech, like they a actually shift. work with uh, the polarized, however that system works, and, and just removes the, uh, can, the depth. Can you not just wear a regular pair of 3D glasses backwards? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that. You can see all the details over at uh, the item. You can go to paulthebookguy.com slash thinkgeek. It's a great way to support the show. These are items that we actually like and we picked. And that was... This is an item that Paul likes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. If I'm paying the extra two and a half bucks for the 3D movie, I want to see the 3D. For, for those of you who wear glasses and have a hard time... Um, uh, Going through a whole 3D movie, sometimes people walk out for a few minutes, and I know it happens to a lot of people, especially with uh, the, the harder prescriptions. Um, Greg? I have to wear my contact lenses when I go to 3D glasses, so I have to pre- actually right. prepare. And, and some, for some people, it's worse. They actually have to walk out for a 10-minute break. So rather than missing part of the movie, you can just put on these 2D glasses and, and put up with it for 10 minutes. You, know, you, you don't get the uh, flying saucer coming at you for 10 minutes, but you enjoy the whole show. But again, I'd still have to wear a second set of glasses. Right. So I, it's still, it's, I still don't think that I'm the target market. Can we get you like a pair of flip-ups for that? <laughs> clip-ons or something like that? Clip-ons, exactly. Yeah, they did the mag- like those the magnetic clip-ons. Yes. That I'd, I'd yes. be all into that. Hollywood has to hurry up and come out with the holograms that don't require uh, glasses. And that was... The Think Geek Item of the Week from thinkgeek.com Books on film and television. All right, Greg, what do you got for us this week in books on film and television? Well, first, I've got something that I've wanted to talk to talk about for quite a bit. This is a book that uh, I think most mothers have read. So this is a interesting one that's coming to the film in 2012. It's what to expect when you're expecting. I, I saw that. I saw that in your notes. And is this not just a, like a how-to uh, sort of instruction manual for pregnancy and what to do? I flipped through my wife's copy because, as, as most of you know, I do have two lovely daughters, and my wife is the mother of both of them. 
Oh, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Thanks, you got swimmers. Good, yeah, good. good lad. And uh, so basically, from, from what I remember of it, we're talking about a week-by-week week account of what to expect in your body. Are and they very, what's... very tasteful hand-drawn black and white pictures? Yeah, something like that. So I, I, this is going to be an interesting one on how they actually get a screenplay out of a, basically a maternity manual. Well, you know, it, it makes sense. They've got a following. They've sold a lot of books. A lot of a lot of women have uh, uh, spent time with this book while pregnant with their children. It and makes sense. This does not make sense at all. It, it makes sense on, in Hollywood's perspective, as as in a some, lot of millions of women have read it. education is going to go rent what to expect when you're expecting. I don't know if this is going to be a manual, a, a no, Hollywood I, I manual on how to have children. It's, it's going to be. Let's let's talk about some but of the names. But that's are, what the book is. I know. <laughs> that's what makes it funny. I think they're just latching on to. A very popular name. This is a multi-million dollar, or sorry, a multi-million copy book. Uh, we've got Cameron Diaz, Elizabeth Banks, uh, Brooklyn Decker, huge names. Chris Rock, uh, Rodrigo Santoro just signed on, and we're talking about some of the A-listers in Hollywood signing on to this movie. Do we have a script uh, writer yet? We have a script writer. Uh, writer so far, Shauna Cross, uh, who let's just take a look, is uh, responsible for. Such films as Whip It, great roller derby. Awesome. And if the screenwriter can, screenwriters can pull this off. Kudos to them. Yeah, I'm not lining up opening night, even if it's in 3D. I might have to go see it. <laughs> <laughs> the Emmy nominations came out this week for the 63rd annual Primetime Emmy Awards. Uh, podcast favorite Game of Thrones by George R. R. Martin uh, came in third with 13 nominations, including wow. yeah. 13 for a first-year series, very well done, uh, including Best uh, or Outstanding Drama Series, Outstanding Directing, Outstanding Casting, and I think you guys will all be happy with this one, Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama Series for Chris... The Dwarf. Yeah, The Dwarf. The dwarf. We keep forgetting his Peter name. Dink- yeah, Peter, Dink- Peter Dinklage. Dinklage. Yes. Yeah. Peter Dinklage did get that uh, out, uh, Outstanding Supporting Actor. We called that one. Yeah, we called that one. That's, that's a good call, Chris. Rule of a lifetime for... A little person, I think they like to be called. Yeah. So congratulations to them. Uh, that's big news for uh, Game of Thrones. You know what little people like to be called? Emmy Award winning little people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good... <laughs> Game of Thrones Book 5 was released this Tuesday, July the 14th. Um, much anticipated. Sold out in many stores. Uh, number one on the Audible book list right off the bat. I noticed that on the site. Dance yeah. with Dragons. Dance with Dragons. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, anybody going to read that one? Um, I'm still, guys, I'm still waiting. I'm going to wait for the TV series, although I, I did kind of start the first book, and I may have to backtrack on that. You're not I may the, have to dive into two. You're not in the minority. A lot of my friends that I, that I associate with who are reading the series have decided that they're going to read the series in conjunction with the television series. I, I think I mentioned that the two episodes ago, two podcast episodes ago, that that was in fact my plan. It went out the window uh, when I did start reading it. I just crashed right through Game of Thrones, cruised right through uh, Clash of Kings, uh, which I'll be reviewing uh, soon for the the book site, for the podcast. And I've already started Storm of Swords. I don't know how much more of this I can take, though. Now, you're saying you crashed through it. Now, I've seen my, my wife is reading the first book, and my wife is a very fast reader. And we were comparing... Uh, girl with the dragon tattoo and just text wise 
the size of the book is similar, but the font is about half the size. There is, there is way more ink on every page. It's very true. Uh, they are big books with small type. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of work to get through them. Yeah, there, there's a lot of text. See, that's why I'm saying I don't think I can... I mean, pages are pages. I can, I can read this stuff, but it is so much information. The universe just keeps expanding and getting bigger and more complicated. I think I might finish, you know, Storm of Swords, and then I got to take a break. And what do you think of the way that he organizes the the chapters? It's not one, two, okay, three. Okay, so well, I, I gotta I gotta do the book review later. We can talk about that then. Right. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, let's do it today. If you are you comfortable I'd happy, with that? I'd be happy. I'd be happy to Excellent. bring it up later. Thanks. Next, we've got uh, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, Harry Potter. Uh, of course, Harry Potter came out this uh, Friday. Uh, already $126 million in the first weekend. Uh, this is the final film, uh, reportedly, from uh, J.K. Rowling's Little Wizard. Uh, it's the seventh book in the series, and it's the second part of the seventh book. She did the final book in two movies. I'm really interesting to see, uh, interested to see what uh, she comes up with next. I want to see her move on from Harry Potter and do something else. Yeah, something else would be interesting. I don't see if this is just a one-trick pony. If I were J.K. Rowling, I would retire. <laughs> so, you know what? To be honest with you, Chris, you're right. Me too. I'd buy an island and move on it. Absolutely. <laughs> just opening yourself up to criticism if you try to put out something else and it's not uh, up to Harry Potter. And it's standards. not Harry Potter? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. 13 years after the first Harry Potter book was published, I'm still astonished and delighted by the response the stories met. Even though the seventh book and the eighth film have now been completed, I'm still receiving hundreds of letters every week, and Harry's fans remain as enthusiastic and inventive as ever. So I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you, because no author could have asked for a more wonderful, diverse, and loyal readership. I'm thrilled to say that I am now in a position to give you something unique, an online reading experience unlike any other. It's called Pottermore. It's the same story with a few crucial additions. The most important one is you. Just as the experience of reading requires that the imaginations of the author and reader work together to create the story, so Pottermore will be built in part by you, the reader. The digital generation will be able to enjoy a safe, unique online reading experience built around the Harry Potter books. Pottermore will be the place where fans of any age can share, participate in, and rediscover the stories. It will also be the exclusive place to purchase digital audiobooks and, for the first time, ebooks of the Harry Potter series. I'll be joining in too, because I will be sharing additional information I've been hoarding for years about the world of Harry Potter. Pottermore is open to everyone from October, but a lucky few can enter early and help shape the experience. I'll hope to see you soon. Oh, yes, Pottermore. Pottermore. Pot yeah, where you can get your ebooks exclusively from there. Because you don't want to read ebooks on your Kindle or your iPad. You want to sit at your desk reading books. Are you serious, Paul? Yeah. You cannot download from Pottermore onto your Kindle? Their very own DRM, exclusive. Exclusively. Oh. Yeah. And she recently fired her agent, and I think there's no one knows why. I think that could be why. Could Bad very, move. Yeah, Bad that move. could be very well be. I don't think this is a very good move. This is going to go about the same way as uh, Microsoft's, uh, this Microsoft's music service, the Zune service, where 
and you have to purchase the songs so long as you uh, I'm continue sorry, to pay Frank, in. I'm sorry to interrupt you. What, what's a Zune? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. For those of you who don't know, Microsoft actually attempted to make an MP3 player, and they called it a Zune. Crash and burn. I yeah. thought that was a, a what's Windows Phone 7 system? Seven for phones. Yeah, it, it, it's know. very confusing. Zune. Uh, reportedly a good, a decent product. I've never heard anybody actually say anything bad, but it came with what's called the Zune Store, and you had to keep paying into it. You couldn't actually purchase the songs uh, the same way as you do in, in iTunes. Do you have to hand J.K. Rowling your credit card? Is that at some point in time? Yeah, at some point in time. And and this is setting a bad precedent because there are so many famous authors who've got these great lines of books. Now, what if every author did that? So for every author you like that has a series of books, you'd have to get a new DRM player. It's stupid. Yeah, it's just confusing. It's going to make the entire uh, the entire genre segmented. You can't have a, a different player for every different author. It's just absolutely incredible. I think DRM sucks. You you brought up this word last week, Greg. Uh, no, it was Chris that brought up. Gatabesh. Gatabesh. <laughs> Digital rights management. This is sucks. This is digital rights management. This is my rights management right here. Here's my copy of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, I borrow that, Greg? Yes, here you go. Well, thank you very yeah, much. Look how easy that was. Hey, that's Paul, you're done with that. You think right I can there. get a copy of that uh, and, Dragon well, Tattoo? Well, here, when I'm done here, here you Ooh, go, Chris. Thank you very much. And we're actually handing it back and forth, by the way, folks. But here's the whole thing that the publishers don't get. For thousands of years, people have been handing each other parchment paper or, or books or scrolls. And yet somehow every year, the market for books gets bigger or stays the same, but it never goes down drastically. Yeah, they're making their money. Yeah. Like, why can't I lend you an ebook? It's stupid. Absolutely. It, they're defeating, they're, they're fighting against their own customers who love books. In the foot. If, if, uh, if Chris lends me an ebook that I really, really like, I'm going to go out and buy the $29.99 hardcover edition. And I'm going to put it on my shelf. Absolutely. You're silly. DRM, get rid of it. But I got to say one thing about the Harry Potter series. Uh, I have read some of them. It has brought reading to a lot of children. That's one thing we promote here at, at Paul the Book Guy. and A lot of kids are reading now because they picked up the Harry Potter series in, 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 in the young adult life. And they've read them all and they've moved on to bigger and better things. But there's nothing wrong with, with a kid-friendly book series like this that gets children once again involved in reading and, and wearing costumes and, and waiting for a book to come out. Can you imagine children waiting for books to come out? It's fantastic, I think. I have to concede. Yes, uh, kids my, are reading the are reading the books. What do you got, Greg? My daughter's playing Quidditch. There you go. What, what, inter, what inter-school is, Quidditch? What so is Quidditch? Quidditch is a sport that they created in for Harry Potter. It's basically witches on brooms, and they're flying around and they're they're catching the snitch. It's kind of oh. like polo slash basketball on yeah, a flying hockey, broom. I think polo, <laughs> basketball. But the kids, uh, the kids right. in schools are now playing Quidditch. Okay. So okay. whatever gets them reading, folks. Whatever gets them reading. Fiction. 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 All right, Chris. I don't know if you're ready to try audiobooks one more time. You willing to give it another college try? The uh, the adjustment bureau worked out well for me. What do you got for me now, Paul? All right. Well, uh, our friend Harlan Zink from RadioArchives.com has given us a copy each of the Doc Savage audiobook, the first one they put out, uh, Python Isle. Is this, um, refresh my memory, uh, is it's, this... it's based on the character Doc Savage, who first appeared in 1933, the Man of Bronze. He's a scientist, very intelligent man, and with the strength of, you know, he's really strong. Uh, That's he... when super strength was pretty much the best superpower you right. could get. That was 
pretty much it. Yeah, but this no is like, this is a vision, classic. No invisibility, no flight. No, just, this was, was a classic yeah. radio uh, drama. I'm all about the classic radio dramas. Is that what we got here, Paul? It, or is but this it an is audiobook? an audiobook format. It's a little bit I longer. See, I know it's I not see. the one hour thing. Uh, if you, I'd appreciate it if you could give it the college try. <laughs> Send it over. I'll give it the college try. All right. Well, I'm going to play the trailer for this book, and uh, the three of us, you know, maybe the next week or two or three, we could uh, all get together and put it on our audiobook mountain. Audiobook mountain. You know how big my audiobook mountain <laughs> know, is right it's now. Huge. <laughs> it's a hell of a lot bigger than mine. My your, your, regular your book audiobook, mountains. Greg's audiobook mountain at, the, at right now is about as tall as the Dark Tower. Here's the clip. For over 80 years, the name Doc Savage has meant thrills and excitement to millions of readers worldwide. Now, for the very first time, the Man of Bronze comes to vivid life in Python Isle, the first audiobook adventure from RadioArchives.com. A metallic bronze blur raced into the room, the gunman world. With a yell, he squeezed off a shot. The bronze man, set for such a move, literally dodged the bullet. His muscles and reflexes were unbelievably coordinated. But even Doc was not infallible. A second bullet caught him full in the chest. It drove him backward against a wall where a great back-swept arm cushioned the impact. Then he came again. The gunman looked in disbelief. He stood as if rooted. Doc's cabled bronze hand seemed to swallow the gun, wielder's hand and all. He wrenched. The gunman bleated, and a grating noise told that the crook's wrist had been broken. Through it all, Doc's metallic face retained his perpetual impassive expression. In Python Isle, a long-lost pioneer flyer returns to civilization, accompanied by an exotic woman who speaks in a lost tongue. From his towering skyscraper headquarters in New York, through a dangerous Zeppelin journey to Cape Town, climaxing on a serpent-haunted island in the forbidden reaches of the Indian Ocean. Doc Savage and his iron comrades race to untangle a weird puzzle so deep that the only clues can be found in the Bible. Written by Will Murray and produced and directed by Roger Rittner, the same team that brought you the Adventures of Doc Savage radio series, Python Isle features dramatic narration by Michael McConaughey, cover art by Joe DeVito, and two exclusive interviews with Will Murray on the history of Doc Savage and the discovery of author Lester Dent's long-lost manuscripts. Python Isle, the first in a new series of unabridged audiobooks from RadioArchives.com, is available now as an 8-CD set, priced at just $25.98, or as a digital download for just $17.98. In the weeks to come, be sure to visit RadioArchives.com often for more exciting audiobook adventures featuring the top heroes of Pulp Fiction, including The Spider, Secret Agent X, and many, many more. If you're looking for adventure, excitement, and suspense, you'll find it on Python Isle, available now from RadioArchives.com. And that was the trailer for Python Isle, Doc Savage, available at RadioArchives.com. We haven't listened to it yet, but we are going to uh, listen to it. Chris is going to give it the college try, <laughs> and uh, we'll be reviewing it in an upcoming podcast. 
For a list of books and other items discussed on this podcast, go to paulthebookguy.com slash show notes. Hi, everyone. My name is Alec Carrick, and I'm the author of Two Scoops is Just Right and Three Scoops is a Blast, and you're listening to my good friend, Paul the Book Guy. Uh, we want to thank all of our listeners for, for tuning in and tuning in in even greater numbers for our second episode, episode 002, Fish Heads, available in iTunes. But apparently Apple's iTunes is listening as well. And we've been featured as a new and noteworthy podcast, which is significant because hundreds of podcasts get posted to iTunes every day. And we're one of the top search results when you search for book reviews. Thank you very much, listeners. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. We're really big in Saudi Arabia here. Shakran, Saudi Arabia. Well done, Paul. Excellent Arabic. All right. We don't do apps on this show. We do books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. I'm going to make an exception today only because our first celebrity book pick came from Adam Curry, and it happens to be one of the books that he reviews on his application for the iPhone called The Big App Show. I believe it's also available for Android. It's an application where you hold your phone the same way you normally do when you use it, and he'll go through applications and tell you to flip the phone sideways or whatever, whenever it's necessary. But there's a tab on the Big App Show, which is a free app on iTunes, that says books. If you go there, it goes to the Big Book Show. And the book that he picked was Damon by Daniel Suarez, and here's the clip from the Big App Show. And we'll be talking about cool books that uh, you might actually enjoy reading. Oh, yeah, what a concept, not just playing around with games and apps. Now, today I want to talk about a book. Actually, it's two books. Uh, this is a series, and I think it easily could be a trilogy. I don't know if he's planning a, uh, a, new, uh, a, um, a, a new volume in what this trilogy would be, but it's uh, Daniel Suarez, and he's uh, written two books that I've both read, and you really need to read them in order, although they're standalone. One is called Freedom. That is the follow-up to the book I'm going to start talking to you about today which is Damon, and you spell this in an interesting way, D-A-E-M-O-N. Damon is, uh, it's, um, some people actually still call it Demon, by the way. It's a little program that runs on a computer and does certain things, and just kind of sits there unassisted and does whatever it is programmed to do. So in this book, Damon, which it is science fiction, but it's so close to the reality we live in today, we even talked about it on the Big App Show, it's, it's almost scary, but I can't wait to actually get to the point where it's like this book, because it'll be very, very cool. So there's this uh, computer programmer, an engineer, and he's built a huge gaming company. He has this uh, an engine, uh, a gaming engine, and he uh, becomes terminally ill and he passes away. But he's programmed this daemon, or demon as you prefer, to sit kind of somewhere on a computer, propagate out to other computers, and it does stuff. And it starts to slowly, with the help of other people who are kind of on board with this uh, political and uh, his whole philosophy, uh, they start to uh, create a whole new subculture of society, and it's based on um, people using augmented reality. So you have a pair of glasses, you put them on, they look just like shades, except then uh, when you walk around, you see other people in the network. Have you ever seen those augmented reality apps that are shown in the Big App Show, where you see, like, um, you can see in the distance where there's a Wikipedia page, or someone's Twitters. Well, now it's kind of like a little balloon floating above your head, and you can see uh, someone's network rating 
points, what job they uh, they have, what kind of skills they have. And this way, only if you have the glasses on and you're part of the network can you become part of this whole culture, this whole society, which spreads really rapidly. And the whole idea behind this guy's uh, demon or daemon is to really bring down uh, society as it exists today and start something fresh. And it's very exciting. It's riveting. It's a real page swiper. I read it on uh, on my Kindle on my iPhone, but again, uh, if you uh, go ahead and get it, it'll work on any Kindle uh, activated device, including the Kindle itself. And um, it's so cool because you get through this book and it kind of finishes, but then you immediately want to go on and read, you know, what happens next, what happens to society. And it really branches out in the Freedom Book. I mean, these two books could have been bundled together for all I care, but I kind of enjoyed reading each one separately. Don't read them out of order, though. Start with Damon. If you want this book, and I highly recommend it, and maybe one day we'll get Daniel Suarez on the show to talk about it, maybe if he puts out a third book, a third volume, because it is so ripe and ready for it, particularly in the world we live in now. And that was the Big App Show. And one thing we do on Paul the Book Guy is podcasts, and we've got some comments from listeners. Listener comments are coming up soon but uh, that we haven't done any podcasts yet. So uh, what, na- what more natural segue than to uh, go on to a podcast also hosted by Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak, uh, who writes for PC World magazine. Greg, is that correct? I believe that's correct, yes. Yes, and uh, they do a show called No Agenda. If you like John Stewart's daily show, uh, they, put a, they go into politics, but they bring comedy to the table. This is not fear porn like Ad- uh, Alex Jones. If, if you want to have a good time, listen to uh, clips from Daily News and two guys just having a great time talking about and laughing about life. This is the show. And here's the clip from No Agenda from their 300th episode. I patched together a bunch of clips from that show. Hit it. Adam Curry, John C. Devorah. It is Sunday, May 1st, 2011. Time for your Gitmo Nation Media Assassination, episode 300. This is No Agenda. 100 episodes, over 700 hours of mainstream deconstruction now in our fourth year. Coming to you from the Hilltop Watchtower, Crackpot Command Center, Gitmo Nation West in the People's Republic of Southern California. In the morning, I'm Adam Curry. And from Northern Silicon Valley, where heck with 300, it's May Day. I'm John C. Dvorak. It's Crackpot and Buzzkill. In the morning. Sorry, I forgot. It, we're supposed to celebrate work. Today, May Day, <laughs> May Day, May Day, yeah, yeah. That's right. Hey, hey, slaves, you get to take May Day off. Oh wait, it's Sunday. So we're watching this thing, and so here comes Trump, comes plowing through with with yeah. someone, yeah. and I'm thinking, what the hell's he doing there? He's yeah. not a correspondent or anything. So I I did some little research, uh-huh. and the two, two things that kind of stood out is that apparently they, they they guess the White House gets so many people they can invite, and right. all these press guys they get a bunch of people they can invite. Trump was I believe set up and brought in by the Washington Post. Oh, he was a guest of the Washington Post. Right, that makes sense. So they said, "Hey, Trump, would you like to come and be our guest?" And then I know some other screwy guests. They had a bunch of uh, actors and actresses. They, uh, for example, uh, what's the name? Of the guy that was uh, married to uh, Courtney Cox, uh, Arquette. Oh, David Arquette. The... David Arquette yeah. was there douching it up, and he <laughs> Douche, he was a guest. douching it up. <laughs> he was. And then, and you know, we have a saying in the music business. We may have discussed it on the show before. If you can't cover it up, turn it up. And I think that's what's going on here with this whole birth or birth certificate thing. It's like, could I mean, it wasn't even funny anymore. It, no. was, it was so stupid. Like, the ladies and gentlemen, the president, there's another, like, 
I'm an American USA and, you know, jets flying and, uh, and you know, flags you waving. You're showing the certificate on the screen over and yeah, over. Yeah, over and over and over again. By the way, I, you know, so... I think by now we can all we can all pretty much agree that the, that this this uh, long form birth certificate is bogus, you know. For whatever, I mean, there's a million different reasons, but I discovered one which I hadn't even seen. And you know, when they throw it in your face, you know that it's you know th- then it's like the final nail in the coffin for this thing. The name of the registrar who signed this birth certificate, U K L Lee. Ukele, ukulele. Yes, exactly. Ukel, ukele, like ukulele. Really, you're gonna throw it in my face like that? Well, you know that we got a number of emails from people telling us that they've deconstructed the PDF file and they say it's a conglomeration of a yeah, bunch of different a, things. A million, a million different. Uh, no, we won't even deal with no, it. No, I'm they, not interested. I, in I think you know. I still, I'm not. I don't care one way or the other at this point, no. but. He was probably, you know, he's probably, boy, they, I, they probably never had, had any good records. Who knows? And they piece, cobbled some piece yeah. of crap together. Yeah. And the one thing I like about their show is they do have a, a remarkable ability to pull together clips that make people uh, contradict themselves. Yes. Very similar to The Daily Show. They're able to contrast things that they've said in recent days and then pull them back from 2007 clips. Right. And I have a clips. sneaking suspicion. I know that John and Adam. Watch C-SPAN so you don't have to. In the morning, by the way, Adam and John. But I, I have a sneaking suspicion they may be using the same company. It's a Canadian company that John Stewart uses, which which pulls the clips for him and organizes them. And, and they've got a great, robust search engine that can actually search video clips by uh, actual text and subject. If that's not the case, then kudos to Adam and John yeah, if that's for not the pulling case. those clips. And uh, Adam has told me that we are going to be featured on the No Agenda live stream, which you can listen to at noagendastream.com. So the Paul the Book Guy podcast is going to be inserted in that stream. And hopefully in the future, uh, the Pocket No Agenda app will uh, give you a hearty Paul the Book Guy jingle in your pocket anytime that we go live on the stream. And thank you very much, Adam and John C. Dvorak, for that. Do we have a Paul the Book Guy jingle just yet? We do. It sounds like this. Yeah, of course we have a f***ing jingle. Well, that's awesome. Eventually, when that's all sorted, when your phone yells at you, tune into the No Agenda stream. That means that our latest podcast is going live. And thank you for all your support, No Agenda listeners. A hearty in the morning to all of you. In the morning to you. Hey, constant readers, in addition to paulthebookgay.com, where you can get book, audiobook, audio drama, and podcast news, we also tweet out a timely manner from our various Twitter accounts, uh, book news as it happens. And I'm on Twitter at Paul the book guy. I'm at Greg the book guy. And you can catch all your movie to television news when I tweet. I'm on Twitter at Chris the book guy for all your weekly earworms. Cabbage rolls and coffee. Mm-mm, good. Two, three, four. A 
uh, Greg, I, I want to thank you so much. Uh, Gre- uh, f- for those of you who visit the site uh, frequently, uh, Greg has been putting in a lot of work and, and releasing one or two or three important books on film and television stories at the site every day. And uh, I enjoy reading the stories. Thank you very much. Thank you. I enjoy uh, researching them for you guys. Fantastic. We've been getting some listener comments coming in through the tweeters and through the email machines and the internets. And I'm going to read a couple of them for you. Uh, author Nancy Nagel says, Ha ha, at Paul the Book, I mentioned goats. Do you think he knows I live on a goat farm? He had me at the goats. Jill Edmondson says, Paul the Book, I checked out your podcast one and two. Keep them coming. Well done. We have Paul Morgado says, Hey, Paul, great job with the podcast. I enjoyed hearing the part where you had that guy who did the Dalek voices from Doctor Who and the Samuel Jackson bit. Great stuff. The Doctor Who stuff reminded me of when we used to play Doctor Who in the school playground back in elementary school. Good times. Keep it up. Bill Cameron says, you're doing a nice job. Five stars from me on iTunes. And finally, we have from a Mrs. Susan Uebeka Gomez. Uh, She says, I'm a bank audit manager in Guinea-Bissau. I have a business proposal to you. $18.5 million presented in bond form in an escrow account. We shall share it. Wait a minute. We are retiring. Wait, we could retire on this one. I'm pretty sure this money from Nigeria... We folks, there may not be a podcast next week. No, there will be a podcast. It will be just us on the air for 24 hours. Uh, Credit cards on the table, boys. uh, Normally, Gmail does a good job in in blocking spam, and I recommend, highly recommend Gmail. Twitter me for my bank account (laughs) numbers. But this one snuck through. Mrs. Susan Obeka Gomez, you're not getting one dime of our money. Hello, this is Harlan Zink from RadioArchives.com with this week's edition of Other Voices, Other Views, a roundup of reviews that have recently been featured at paulthebookguy.com. Today's reviews come from the pen of Phyllis Johnson. Now let's take a look at two nonfiction titles, both very different, but both very intriguing. Sandy Ramos's book, He Carries Me, is an informative and personal journey for caretakers of cancer patients. When her husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor, her world fell apart. Hence began the emotional roller coaster, including doctors, treatments, tests, prayer, and family bonding. From discovering resources to braving the world of high-tech medicine, Sandy's description and guidance can benefit other families facing the same challenge. She emphasizes the importance of leaning on God, and having a strong support system while being a caregiver. The chapter based on taking a dream trip to Alaska is worth reading by everyone, whether they're facing a family crisis or not. It reminds the reader to live each day to the fullest. Hanging on to hope, praying while waiting, and sharing special moments together cast a ray of light over difficult times, whether the prognosis is terminal or hopeful. He Carries Me is the perfect tool for friends and families of those facing what is probably the biggest challenge of their lives. Next, let's take a trip with a teacher who finds Italy to be a very different place from the United States. When you read Michael D'Amato's book, Rome, Italy, you feel as though you have visited Italy. With the soul of a poet, He delivers a wonderful journaling of his travels there with the obvious yearning to bring much of its charm back with him. This book is a crash course in Italian body language for those unused to talking with their hands. It is also a mini-guide to Italian expressions 
and a primer for Italian drinks and culture. His book begins by revealing his enthusiasm and struggles as a teacher. The text is both reassuring and beneficial to others in the academic arena, stressing that they are not alone in their problems. His quest for three missions on a trip to Italy with a group of middle schoolers range from the simple to the monumental. A simple mission can mean eating a gelato, while a medium mission can involve using a different mode of transportation. His large mission, surprisingly, was to find the best chocolate in the world. He advises those traveling with teens to expect such challenges as lost passports, separations while on buses, and he shows the importance of making plans of reconnecting and traveling light. At times, any memories of trials were swept away by delicious pastries found in Italy. His images of Italian food run from their lean breakfasts to a smothering of Nutella. He depicts Italians as socially rich people who aren't afraid to touch each other in affection and relish their loved ones around a table heavy with food. D'Amato adds advice to never leave a table early. His observations revealed no microwaves in the dozens of houses he entered in Bellata, and that his host family had no electric can opener, something unheard of here in the States. He stresses that Italians have an emotional attachment to food. His observations continued to include the fact that they enjoy eating much later than their American counterparts and are known to eat their salads right before their dessert. Moving to school issues involving Italy, he saw that teachers there are as revered as much as doctors and lawyers. They have to work less hours, have more time to prepare, and teachers move from class to class while the students stay in one classroom. He continually mentions the warmth shown by the host family, and throughout the trip, you sense that his love for the country is strongly enhanced by the people who made his stay there possible. Toward the end of the book, he speaks of an exchange of culture as their newly found Italian friends come to visit him in his classroom in the United States. For him, it was a prized moment. In his words, it was the beauty of my two worlds meeting. This book is rich with emotion and imagery, a great read for those planning to visit Italy and anyone who works with today's youth. This has been Other Voices, Other Views. All of today's reviews were written by Phyllis Johnson, whose reviews are regularly posted at paulthebookguy.com. This has been Harlan Zink from radioarchives.com. Be sure to listen to the next podcast of Paul the Book Guy when I'll be back with more news and reviews. Thanks for listening, and bye for now. Fantasy. Now, Chris, uh, Greg and I are waiting to read book two of The uh, Song of Fire and Ice by George R. R. Martin. You are not. You're jumping right in, and, and I know you're just dying to tell us all about it. Well, don't we have to review a book? Absolutely. I mean, we, somebody has to actually read a book and, or, <laughs> That's and right. or listen to a book and review it on the show. Sounds good. And here we go. All right. I did indeed jump straight into the next book after Game of Thrones, which was Clash of Kings. Uh, plot synopsis. Very simple. Um, continuation of book one. The Night's Watch mounts a reconnaissance north of the wall. Uh, the Seven Kingdoms are plagued by civil Greg, war. Greg and I are taking our headphones off now, folks. Uh, uh, 
Chris is going to give you a soliloquy. We really don't want to hear the spoilers, but we're going to make the sacrifice. For there, you are no going. there are right. no spoilers. There are no spoilers. I am I'm not spoiling anything. I'm not spoiling so anything. So I don't, I don't have to sound the cloister bell this week? You don't have to sound the cloister okay, bell. Okay, good. All right. We'll I keep realize. our headphones on. All right. I've never looked forward to something more than You guys were like two. freaking out, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Folks, for, for those of you at home, I know it's an audio podcast. Greg and I were literally reaching for our headphones to take them off and plug our ears with it was, the, with it our was like they had bees around their ears and they were going <laughs> to like, all right so it's a spoiler free review i Chris. understand right, that no one has seen the second season and there may be people waiting to watch it i'm not spoiling anything this so. is a great series this really folks we're not harping on this one this is a gentle fantastic spoiler free plot synopsis the go easy on them chris i will i will the night's watch is mounting a reconnaissance a reconnaissance north of the wall okay uh, the Seven Kingdoms are plagued by civil war. No surprise there. No surprises. Right. And Daenerys uh, Tar- Targaryen continues her quest for uh, her birthright and the Seven Kingdoms. There. That's no it. Surprises. That was the plot yes. synopsis. Wow. Nice. So did thank you, you enjoy the book? <laughs> a lot of people at home are saying, thank you, Chris. I know. There's a lot of people reaching to turn down their computers right there. There was no need. I'm sorry. Uh, I would not spoil the book. So uh, for myself... Uh, having finished now Clash of Kings. Let us know. What are we in for? Uh, George R. R. Martin is known for dramatic plot twists and killing characters whenever he sort of feels like it, much to yes. everyone's you know surprise, right? So if you recall back to Game of Thrones, the story starts with, you know, sort of a cute story about, you know, a northern kingdom and, you know, oh, the little political intrigues of court. Okay, here's the thing. Every time he kills somebody or every time he takes a dramatic plot twist, what he's doing is sort of destroying the the internal logic that you've accepted right. and sort of revealing to you that there is a greater and deeper and more complicated plot that, yes. that you just can't even you know, imagine. And this is what is, it is surprising. At the same time, it's inevitable. And that, 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 that theme that he started in Game of Thrones carries perfectly and neatly and frighteningly it's like the sword of Damocles is just hanging over all of these characters. Oh, and, and inevitably, they're all going to die. You just feel... Here, here is the next theme that, that George R. R. Martin only you know, underscores in the second book, and that you know, no good deed goes unpunished. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> now, he's taken time with these books to write them. You know that he says they'll be done when it's done, and you can tell that he's handcrafted this so well. Another thing that I noticed in the uh, series was anybody who says to Jon Snow... I'll tell I'll tell you about it when I get back. <laughs> they're doomed. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're done. They are doomed. done. Yeah, you don't want to know Jon Snow, at least not as a personal friend. So uh, just to please carry- tell me, you know what? I'm gonna sign the the, the spoiler one right now. Please tell me Peter Dinklage continues on. Does he have work next season? And I, we're we're sounding the horn here. I, I'm not spoiler I'm not warning. Spo- no, I'm not spoiling anything here. Oh, um, Peter Dinklage and of course you know Tyrion Lannister uh, carries solidly through. Uh, the second book. Oh, good well, it's no things. secret that that's good one of George R. R. Martin's favorite characters. Probably it is one best, of his favorite characters. One of the best, if not the best actors in the whole and if, series on HBO. And if Peter Dinklage. If there's no uh, shortage of heartache, intrigue, uh, revenge, Peter Dinklage, um, Tyrion Lannister gets really the spotlight in uh, Clash of Kings, I'd nice. say. So Very if you're nice. a fan of that character... Uh, you're up for, you're up for a good time. Um, the other couple of things that I wanted to bring up about the book, uh, and this, do you guys remember uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Yes. Uh, you would 
watch the movie and they revealed the sort of supernaturalness about it very slowly, right? Like at first he thought, hey, maybe there were steps in those walls that they were running up that they weren't really flying, right? And then they, he, the movie sort of drew very slowly yeah, into then, the magical and, part of it. And in the end, they were dancing and on And in the end, bamboo. they're dancing, yeah. But, yeah. but you bought it, right? Because he brought it in so slowly. I have to hand it to George R. R. Martin here too. The, the magic is so deftly and carefully alluded to. It's growing constantly. He barely hints at it. In Game of Thrones, and it's growing. He's very light on the fantasy, oh. on the dragons in Game yeah. of Thrones. It's it's so well done. He uses it sparingly. It's so deft and it's so scary for him not talking about it. Yeah. It's the opposite it's so, opposite of J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter, where she throws dragons opposite. and magic yeah, and everything at know, you, like yes. in piles and or even and Lord buckets. of the Rings for that matter, right? You know, right. people casting yes. spells and you know eyes looking at you through crystal balls. There's none of that. But there's there is a very gentle foreboding of this coming dusting. of this stuff. Yes. Wow, that the, the magic is growing. That there's so something growing. You feel that by book three or four or five that just released this week, that you're going to have a full, Ooh, a fully fledged uh, magical universe similar to the Lord of the Rings, or do you think it's going to peter off, maybe plateau? There's the rub for this week, isn't it, Greg? That yeah, this week rub, book yeah. five has come out, and what do I think? I I don't think it's going to go into full-blown Lord of the Rings talking trees and, uh, you know, lightning bolts from fingertips Star Wars style. Uh, but <laughs> the... But there may be some of that, and, and he'll build doom, up to it slowly and yes, use and I, it as sparingly say, as a plot device. As say, every time he takes a dramatic turn in the plot, uh, you know, the, the universe and the, the logic of the play of the whole uni- of this whole universe gets more strange and more twisted and more complicated and more scary. So tell us about the, uh, well, the book, the, the fifth book of the course was book released this week. And, uh, of course the fan to fantastic reviews, people are, uh, are really happy with it, but, dance uh, of dragons, what's dance of dragons. Called? Yeah. It's, it's dance, dance with, with dra- dance with dragons. Now, something that uh, I want to talk to you guys about, uh, George R. R. Martin basically said that uh, he's going to have the person's head on a pike that released the book early on Amazon. Oh, yes. This is the one that I want to talk to you guys about. About 180 copies of the book were released in Germany about a accidentally? week. Accidentally? Yes. Accidentally shipped early, right. about a week early. He's going to have some heads dipped in tar yeah, and mounted he, on spikes. Well, he wanted to, he said it's not going to be quite as gruesome as a golden crown, but he actually <laughs> said he's, he is quoted in his blog as saying, I want that person's head on a pike. Right. I mean, but a book being released weeks early happens all the time. And I mean, we've got some uh, early releases coming, but were these to the general public? These were to the general public. Oh. These were to people who had pre-ordered. Right. To people who have no best interest in keeping no, their mouth no, shut they until had not release signed, date. Right. They had not signed uh, an NDA or anything well, like that. Well, typically you don't sign an NDA, but uh, we would have the courtesy to, if, if it says agreement. street date, right. If it says street date, we would have the courtesy not to uh, do anything that they do not wish us to do, like review it or whatever before that. But so this happened, Greg, this was just. Regular people just ended up downloading it. Regular people were actually shipped copies. Oh, shipped of, paper Shipped 1,000-page co- copies wow. of the book, yes. Yeah, so this is, this is again, a doorstopper, 1,000 pages. Well, yeah, and, they probably hadn't finished it well, by the time it came he's out. Added, <laughs> he's added another book to the series, even. Well, there, there, he's got seven scheduled. Seven books. Right, Greg, you're right. Thank you very much. So they are actually doing casting now for the second season of Game of Thrones, HBO. So, of course, casting for the Game of Thrones. Sorry, casting for the... 
Well, they are calling it Game of Thrones. Yeah, I know still. they're calling Season it Game of two. Thrones, but it's the book Clash of Kings, and that's the, the you know the major theme of the work is that you know there's you know massive civil war within. So George R. R. Martin is um, involved in the script writing. For those who don't know, as an executive oh, producer, nice. I didn't know that. Yep, he's heavily involved in the project, and he has uh, promised or threatened to bankrupt. HBO with a massive battle scene, the Battle on the Blackwater. <laughs> nice. <Yeah. laughs> I've heard them. It is in the book. I have to say, it's exquisite. It is a profound, profound battle sequence, and I would love to see HBO put this on TV. And here's here's actually part of a, a, a bit of a problem with the book. When I watch it on TV, it uh, my imagination works a lot better than HBO's budget. And yes. I'm seeing a lot of, you know, a lot more in my head than I'm seeing on TV. I appreciate HBO's, you know, efforts and it's a great series and I really want to see the characters and get to know them, you know, on TV. But man, if they could just get more money for more special effects, yo. Well, he has said that he wants to this to uh, basically make the Lord of the Rings battle scenes look wow. really, really poor. That would be cool. That would be very cool. There's now, a now, lot I'm of possibility say, there. I know that the budget is pretty... Pretty decent for the season one for a television and, show. Yes, yeah. and but they have done a fantastic job in in season one in in uh, using that money in the right places. Multiplication shots where they take you know five or six actors and multiply them to make it look like a thousand people are standing at the wall, and uh, they they've used it well. Well, in relation to their budget, I I think it's going to have to increase because as Chris said. Um, as the fantasy aspect of it increases, so will your CGI uh, budget also have to increase. Yes. I mean, CGI is typically proportionate to your amount, the amount of fantasy and magic that you're going to add to the series. Yes, and, and since George R. R. Martin uses it so sparingly, where he he's, that doesn't pull a rolling where everything's flying and, and mystical and magical, he's... Uh, what I, what I want to see is if a live shot trebuchet you know, like siege oh, weaponry yes. on a castle. Oh, that'd be awesome. I wonder I if they're going to actually build trebuchets. That'd be awesome. You see, that's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> what might. we need. That's what we need a budget for is where massive do, siege warfare. Where do you find a trebuchet builder nowadays? Uh, I'm sure any, any production be, shop for a TV show no, has a guy who can, who's no, dying to no, make a trebuchet. No. Okay. Dying. Not that I want to like... Uh, uh, Mythbusters did a special on the guys who fling pumpkins. Those are working trebuchets. Right, that's right. Those guys could easily come up Absolutely, with yeah, that's, something you know what? for siege <laughs> warfare in a pinch. There is a hobbyist. There is a hobbyist out there who has a working trebuchet in his backyard. Oh, there, there's some nerdy guy who's out there sitting there saying, I can make a trebuchet for the Game of Thrones. Please pick me, pick me. If anybody would like to donate a trebuchet to the Paul the Book Guy uh, podcast, yes, please. we will use it. <laughs> Sometimes, folks, we, we usually, if, if we don't like, the three of us agree, if there's a consensus, we don't like a book. We just don't talk about it. We're not going to waste your time on a piece of crap. But if you, if someone donates that trebuchet, we will launch that book. It'll land somewhere in Toronto. Uh, hopefully, we won't hurt anyone. We, if it's if it's as big as Stephen King's Under the Dome, we won't use it on the I trebuchet because it will be. kill us. And we do have a former police detective, homicide detective, Bob Hobbs, is going to be on next week, and he is going to uh, to confirm or deny that uh, this book can be used as a homicide weapon. Oh, it's a little bit of uh, <laughs> real-life investigation. Into, yes, he, he's uh, also an avid book. He's a, he is a constant reader. He is a re, uh, listener to the podcast now, and he is going to inspect the item and, and judge in his professional opinion whether or not it could be used to actually kill someone. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. 
We're having fun in the podcast, people. This is what we do. You know, we we're, we're trying to make reading and books fun again, and 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 hopefully we're we're getting that through to you. And you guys, you know, it's episode three. You know what that music means. It's time to go. It's been a blast. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners and uh, remind them that the best way you can support this show, never mind the sponsors, never mind anything else, is tell one of your friends about the show. And, and let them know about us. And we'd love to have them on board as well. Please tell your friends. I'm Paul the Book Guy. I'm Chris the Book Guy. And please support the show with your reader feedback and listener comments. Absolutely. I'm Greg the Book Guy. Follow us all on Twitter. And we'll see you next week. Paul the Book Guy will return next week. Same book time, same book channel. Three, four.